Um, once again, very welcome to all of you here at the Rock Church in Squamish for uh, any visitors here this morning. I see a couple of new faces. Can I see who's here for the very first time this morning? Anyone yeah, visiting? Hey, let's uh, welcome them. Let's give them a round of applause. Really great to have new faces here. Uh, we're quite used to it here, especially during the summer months um, that we've got people visiting. Uh, hopefully you're not just here visiting for the day, but you're going to stick around for a bit and maybe you're checking out faith and spirituality. It would be, it would be good to get to know you. Uh, maybe here by the end of the service. Uh, we just all, always want to encourage someone who is uh, checking out the Rock Church. Uh, there at the back, we do have some uh, info cards that you can fill out your details if you want to get in touch with uh, Glenn or one of the elders. Uh, yeah, and just connect maybe. If you're thinking about making the Rock Church Squamish your uh, home congregation or, or local church, it would be great if you could do that. So for those of you that do not know me, my name is uh, Rudy Both. Both I'm one of the elders here at the Rock Church. And as uh, Gavin had shared, uh, Glenn and Janice uh, have been ill this past week with COVID. And so uh, I was asked if I would be able to fill the pulpit. And I'm always uh, maybe sometimes uh, too keen to jump in. So I said, yes, okay, let's go. Uh, but yeah, I'm in really in need of just uh, God's grace and prayers this morning. As we are kicking off a, a new series this morning, um, and the series, the theme of the series or the title of the series is Disciple, Be One, Make One. That is the, the title of the series, and it's flowing out of our series that we had done uh, now in the last 11 weeks that were focused on cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. Now, just before I forget, I'm just throwing my timer there. And uh, Glenn had finished that series last Sunday with a fantastic sermon that focused and honed in on what we are about as the Rock Church in Squamish, as a local vineyard, part of the, the great vineyard of Jesus Christ, which is the church. And, and Jesus is, is, of course, the vineyard. We are the branches but we know that the church is also regarded then as a vineyard that is then pruned. The branches are pruned so that we will bear much fruit. And out of last week's sermon, there were a couple of things there that were really um, fascinating and true. And, and one of them that hit me the most uh, from that sermon was, of course, a reminder of what we're about and why we exist as a local church, as the Rock Church in Squamish. And it comes from Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 to 24, where Jesus tells his disciples that all authority has been given to him, and therefore they need to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then to teach them to obey everything that Jesus had commanded them. And that is where we get our mission statement from. The mission statement of the Rock Church is to make Jesus known. That is what we're about. And how we go about doing it, and we believe the way that Jesus modeled that for us, is to do that by making disciples who go and do what? Make disciples. Okay, that is... That is what we are aiming for. That is why we exist. That is what we would like to see happen. And so that is, of course, then uh, guiding us into this next series, uh, Disciple, Be One and Make One. And so with that in mind, 
I want to talk about the stages of discipleship this morning. So Alec, if you could put that up there. That's our sermon title, The Stages of Discipleship. And I want to look at what it looks like, according to Scripture, uh, in the life of a believer, in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about it when I heard on Wednesday, and, and Glenn had put the message out there that, listen, he's, he's not going to be able uh, to preach this Sunday as a result of having COVID and uh, asking whether or not I would be able to fill the pulpit, I was reminded of another statement that he made last Sunday. The statement is, we are not called to make converts. We are called to make disciples. And that is how I felt like, okay, I really want us to look at then, what are the stages of discipleship? You know, where do converts fit in? Because... uh, Converting to Christianity by faith in Jesus Christ, receiving forgiveness for your sins, needs to happen. There's a place for converts. But what does that stage of life then look like in the life of a disciple? And for that, we are going to turn to uh, the letter by the Apostle John, First John. So if you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do have your Bibles with you. Um, and Alec, I'm going to ask that you don't put the scripture uh, on there. We're just going to read it together. I'm going to ask that you turn to 1 John chapter 2. And we are going to look at verses 12 to 14. And so I'm going to read to us there. John writes to the church as a whole, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. That's God's word. Let us pray. Yeah, Father, we just thank you uh, for today. We thank you for this morning, Lord, that we can rejoice in you as our Father, our God. And we call out and cry out to you this morning, Abba, Father. Uh, We thank you that we can do that on this day as we think about our earthly fathers, but more so our heavenly father. And so we just come and ask, come and lead us. Lord, come and um, lead me as I share your word this morning. And by your spirit, just come and do a mighty work in us. Lord, take away anything that is not of you and just come and multiply that is of you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure how many of you know who the preacher and teacher Francis Chan is, okay? I'm pretty sure the majority of, of us do know who he is. If you do not know who Francis Chan is, he is a very well-known Christian preacher and teacher uh, who was a pastor of a church called Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. I believe he planted that church in 1995 or in the mid-90s, and he led that church for 15 years, and that church grew 
from a gathering of 30 people in their living room to, I believe, approximately over 5,000 people that were attending it on Sunday mornings. But in 2010, uh, Francis Chan kind of like shocked the Christian community and the evangelical community by resigning from his lead pastor position and leaving that mega church. And some of the reasons that Francis gave, and, and one of them predominantly was that he said that he felt that he heard more people being excited to come to Cornerstone Church as a result of Francis Chan and the message on Sundays. And there weren't many people actually excited and talking about them there for Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit. And so Francis felt and, and was convicted very deeply that that was a problem. And so he stepped down from his position because he felt the body of Christ in that local church, Cornerstone Church, there were too many Christians that were coming and their Christian life was based off of that one day a week. That Christian experience, the worship experience. And in a series that he had, I, th I believe it's still on right now, media called Basic, he had an example also of something that happened. There was a, a gangster in his church that came to faith in Jesus. The gangster spoke to Francis Chan and said, listen, I've got to share something with you. I was baptized of course, you baptized me, but I, I got to tell you, I was quite disappointed because before I came to faith in Jesus and was baptized, I was in a gang. And in gang life, when you get jumped and initiated into gang life, like you're in a family. It's family. Gangsters belong to gangs because they are looking for family and they will die for one another. And I thought that, and this is now the, the gangster telling this to Francis Chen, I'm quoting him. The gangster said, I thought when I was in through faith in Jesus, and when I got baptized, that that was kind of like that, that that was me in the family, and that my life now as a Christian was going to be more than just one day a week. But then I realized, together with all the other Christians in this church, that it's, it's just about the one day in the week. And Francis, Francis Chan said he listened to that, and he, and he thought, no, um, you're right, the gangsters have a better understanding of God's heart for his church. The gangsters understood that it's about family. The gangsters understood actually what love is, to lay down your life for your brother, as Jesus said. And that's one of the examples that Francis Chan gives of why he felt convicted then to leave that position and, of course, then start uh, a church movement called the We Are Church Movement, which is predominantly a house church movement. Now, there are many various opinions on Francis Chan. I'm sharing that, not saying that, listen, the Rock Church is predominantly, we're all Francis Chan and, and whatnot. There might be people sitting here and saying, well, listen, uh, I, I don't really like this theology and whatnot about Francis Chan. You can say whatever you want about him. But I think there is something that, about that story. And as we are now seeing what's happened in the evangelical Christian church here in the last 10 years, and especially now, over the, the last number of years of COVID, how many megachurches are crumbling as a result of that fact. That too many Christians are making their faith about one day in the week and not about family. And I share that this morning as a preface for this text because 
Yes, this text is talking about discipleship, the stages of discipleship. But I believe we, we get this wrong as the church because we forget that church is family. To be a disciple means to be in God's family. You're a child of God. You're included into the fold of God. Where you were once not included, where you were once an orphan, where you were once an enemy of God, through Jesus Christ, you can be brought close to God and into the family if you believe in His work on the cross your sins. And so we're going to jump in there and looking at verses 12 and 13. And I'm going to quickly run over what we see the Apostle John shares as being the different stages of the discipleship life. And then we're going to look at why he repeats himself, adds a couple of things, because I believe he gives us then a description and an explanation of why we get those different stages in discipleship. Firstly, you can throw that on there, Alec, the first slide. The Apostle John says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. He lists three definite stages in the discipleship life. Being a young child, an infant, the Greek word that is used there to describe little children is someone who is born again. It's literally someone who has now come to faith. That's the convert. You've got fathers and young men. So he's not literally writing to, uh, listen, I'm writing to Kids Rock Church and all the kids there. And I'm writing to all the, the fathers. In other words, only to men who have got children. No, he's not writing only to young men. He is figuratively, metaphorically writing in a language that the church understands. Because this is a culture and a church that, of course, or, or not a church, but a faith that is born out of patriarchy. The Christian faith is a faith that is born out of patriarchy. It's not an evil word. It's a great word. Jesus Christ is our patriarch, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And so if he was writing to us today, he would say, yes, I'm writing to you who are new in the faith. I'm writing to all you mature, older Christians, the fathers, the mothers of the faith, those of you that have walked this path already, and those of you, the young people, the young adults, that is who I'm writing to. Three definite stages of the discipleship life. Stages of maturity. Um, that is what Ray's statement calls it. And so, by the way, many of the things that I'm sharing here today is as a result of reading and listening to a message by Ray's statement that I felt was just so appropriate for us today. Um, and this is important. Many of us don't think about church in this way. We think that, okay, just because someone is gathering with us, that first and foremost, that, that means they're a Christian. That's not true. Not everyone that is sitting here this morning is necessarily a Christian or have professed faith in Jesus Christ. It might, it might be that you think you are, the, that you've got an opinion that you've always been a Christian, but that's not necessarily true because there are different stages and there is a definite point in time in which someone converts to become a Christian, to become a child of God. We don't think about it in this way, and then we react to certain people's behavior. 
and label them as, well, oh, that person cannot be a Christian because they keep on persisting in that sin and, and this is how they treated me. And, but we forget that, listen, just like our little children grow up, like I've got two toddlers, the one is five, the one is turning three. Man, every day their behavior is appalling. But just because they're behaving badly doesn't make them not my children, right? Like many times I wonder whose kids are these, but they're my children. You can look at Daniel and Miriam. Look at them. They look like me, a little bit like Jean, but I know they're Jean's because I was there when they came from, you know, okay. I share that because we look at people's behavior and then we make it a clear-cut decision. Oh, yeah, that person cannot be saved. Look at that behavior. Listen, we cannot say that. They might just be very, very still, little, tiny Christian baby. That is the truth of the matter. But it's important for us to understand those three stages. And there are other scriptures that talk about the fact that, listen, there are definitely different stages of developing in your walk with Christ. One of the best examples that I'm going to share, it's not up there, but it is out of the parable of the sower. If you go and read about it, I believe it's in Luke 8 and also somewhere in Matthew. But the parable of the sower, the sowing of the seed on the different soils, Jesus gives that parable and he says, listen, this, the seed is sown and it falls in different soils, but when it lands on good soil, what kind of a, a, a harvest do we get? We get 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold in threes. There might be some people that become, you know, they, they are Christians, but they are, they're Christians. They're not growing in maturity. And then those that, that evolve and they grow, then hopefully into the young adults or young men. And then a hundredfold, those who are then one day going to receive a crown of glory. Because there's also in various parts of Scripture, in First Peter, Peter talks about rewards that are going to be given to Christians. You will, there will be definitely praise, honor, and glory given. Jesus gives various parables when he's talking about the talents that were given, right? Like, what did you do with your talents? Well, there were some that buried it, that were too scared to do anything with it. There were some that multiplied, you know, twofold, and then others fivefold, and... Again, an indication of Jesus is going to be rewarding those uh, when he meets them face to face with either praise, honor, and glory. So there are definite indications of those different kinds of stages of spiritual growth. And that is what they are. And now we're going to jump back in to how and look at how John repeats himself here, verses 13. It's the second part of verse 13 and then 14. And here, John explains to us not what the, the stage is, but basically what the characteristics is, uh, or in other words, why. Why that is the stage that people are in. He writes again, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. That's exactly the same statement. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Firstly, I write to you, children. This time round, John uses a different 
a word in the Greek for little children or children. In, in verse 12, that little children is, yes, it's a, a convert, new believer, an infant in the faith. Now in this one, it's referring to a child that's under instruction, a child that needs to grow and being instructed, being taught. And why are they children? Why is someone then a new believer and needs to be taught? It's because if you go to verse 12, your sins are forgiven. And through your sins being forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ, and you receiving the free gift of grace, not as a result of your own works, but because of God's grace, you know the Father. That is how you become a child of God. You know the Father. You know God. You receive God. That's the greatest thing about the Christian message. Like if you want to know what is the greatest, the, the greatest advantage of being a Christian, you get God. How many of us live in that way when we uh, talk to people in a week, during the week, and they ask you how you're doing, that we live in that way that we're excited to tell them, you know what, I'm doing great. I have God. Who do you have? <laughs> what do you have? You know, we don't live like that. I don't do that. But that is, that's the most fundamental thing about a, a Christian. And it's great. Salvation. That's the greatest gift. There's nothing greater than salvation. But it is not the all and be all. To be a Christian is not just to have eternal life. Many Christians just, you know, for years I walked in that kind of like a Christian life. Where I was like, yes, I'm saved. Great. And now I think I can just live the, whatever way I want because I'm going to have eternity with Jesus. There's more to just that. There's more to just that. And John gives us an indication of what that is. There is this life now and the mission of Jesus Christ to build the church. This is only, this life is only a precursor for eternity. Like I, I love Squamish. I really, I do. But I feel like many of us, many people move to Squamish because they feel this is it. I've arrived. This is heaven. Oh, I've got, I've, I've got everything that I need. I've got everything that I want. But there's more to life than just recreation and planning our lives around our recreation activities. And we read about it here in the next part. He says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. It's interesting, and I'm going to, if you look at it again, the, the way that he structures it, with fathers being right smack bang in the middle between infants, little children, and the young people. Why? Because we are in need of spiritual fathers. We're in need of not just spiritual fathers. We are in society in need of fathers. There's no doubt about it. The research shows it. The impact that we are experiencing within society and the broken homes and people struggling, young men struggling, but young people struggling with who they are, their identities and direction of life as a result of the absence of male role models in the form of good fathers. How much more do we need spiritual fathers in the church? I'm not talking just about men. I'm using that term Figuratively, metaphorically, we are in need of mature believers in the church that can help build the body of Christ. 
And he doesn't add something to fathers. He, he just says the same thing. You know him who is from the beginning. You know Jesus who is from the beginning. Because you know Jesus, you know the father. Ray Stedman shares this example. He says, when he was in grade school, his teacher asked him to come to the chalkboard and write the degree of comparison for perfect. And he wrote, perfect, more perfect, most perfect. And the teacher said, no. And he said, well, it can't be perfect, perfecter, and then perfectist. She said, no, it's perfect. You cannot add anything to it. Something is perfect. It's perfect. Uh, what John is saying here is that spiritual fathers are perfect in the sense that they have grown up, they've matured, they're complete. It's like a coming of age, turning 21. You're now adult in adulthood. It doesn't mean that you're faultless or sinless. Spiritual fathers are never without sin. They're never without fault. But they are people that walk in the truth and in the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that they do not panic when little infants throw tantrums. Or when young, when young people run about trying to, to rule and govern when they've got no wisdom. They very gently just call us young people that think we know it all. Just in and say, hey, listen, can I, can I just softly, kindly tell you something and rebuke you and just maybe did you think about that? Those are kind of spiritual fathers that we need in the church. And then lastly, young men, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. John adds here, for a specific purpose to this phase, the young men, the young people, those who are vigorous and they've got a lot of speed, they've got strength and agility and they want to accomplish things, they've got vision, they've got dreams. And he says, listen, they are strong, but this is how you get to that point of not staying in infancy anymore. Because the word of God abides in you and through the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they overcome the evil one. They overcome the power of sin in their lives. Step by step of the way. Overcoming strongholds. These are, and, and in these phases, and I, and I don't believe it ever stops. It's not as if this kind of lifestyle in the disciples' life stops when you become a spiritual father and mature. But this is kind of like where... You are, you are sick and tired of sin and those things that tie you down. And you start living in accountability with other Christians. You're in community group. You meet with someone at least once a week, twice a week to say, listen, this is my sin. I've fallen again. I've, I've struggled. I confess this with you. Can you pray with me? And there is accountability and growth. There is a study of scripture. But the emphasis is again, the stages of how we get to that spiritual maturity is no other way than through the word of God that abides in us. And that abiding is through the spirit. It's the word and the spirit. I feel ashamed to give this example. Or not really ashamed, but just kind of like, yeah, let's call it just, it's, it's bad. In 2015, like I, I came to Canada from South Africa in 2011, um, 
from a church background that it, it was amazing. Great congregation, young congregation, church plant. But of course, a very, I would say, had their roots in the Pentecostal doctrines. I'm from a Pentecostal background. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, when I came to Canada, I had a, a faith that was, I was zealous for the Lord, but it was very experiential. I was I did not have a lot of training and understanding of Scripture. I had basic training in the Scriptures and knowledge. But not just Bibles that were head knowledge. It was knowledge that was there. It touched the heart. It, it rejuvenated me. And then in 2015, 2016, I was like adamant, yes, I feel this call for church planting. And man, I'm, I listened to this. these guys from the CDC network come to Williams Lake. And, and uh, this guy came and he spoke and he said, listen, what is your excuse for not feeling the call or sensing the call of church planting? Is it because you feel like you don't know enough and you, you have not gone to seminary and, and whatnot? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. That's me. And, and I signed up and I got in contact with these guys and had a couple of interviews. And I remember the one interview with uh, Ron Leonard over the phone. And he asked me, Rudy, have you read the whole Bible yet? <sighs> no. No, I haven't. I had to be honest. I said, you know what, Ron? I have not. But I'm busy. <laughs> but you know what? That was the truth. I was like, yeah, let's go. I, I'm ready, uh, you know. I think I, my pastor at that stage there from our church, he was like, oh, this guy, like I love him, but he, oh, he's just so zealous, but he lacks wisdom. Okay? So, of course, I went through that church planting assessment and... The right thing was done. They says that listen, this yeah, it could be Rudy, but we give you the we give you the yellow light. There's a couple of things that you need to still do, like read the whole Bible. <laughs> okay, not that you have need to. You don't understand me uh, incorrectly. You don't need to know and read the whole Bible to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We start with the gospel of Jesus, but listen, man. I look back at that and I, I didn't have a good understanding really of just where I was also in the faith. And now even this week I realize again, oh, I'm such an idiot. I think I'm like this and oh, I'm the right guy for this job. And then you stumble and you fall and God is just like, yeah, you need grace. You need forgiveness for your sins. You, you need to have a realistic view of just who you are and where you are in your spiritual life. I share that uh, with you this morning because it's important for us to have that in mind where we're at, we need to be able to go and, and figure that out. God wants us to have a sober judgment about where we're at in our walk with Him. Because He's a good Father. God is not a... Uh, what is this one statement that uh, Ray Statement shared? He said, God is a good Father that gives to His children what they need. He's not like a, um, a grandfather who just gives to a kid whatever they want. Okay, Some grandfathers just you know, give everything. Let's give to the grandchildren. Um, he's a good father. But he wants us to grow in humility and faith. But most of all, the ultimate fruit of the disciples' life, Jesus said in John 13, by, by this they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Because this is important. If, if you look at these different stages, 
it's not very hard to go and figure out whether or not you're still maybe stuck in infancy. Infancy is characterized by certain things in the physical world. Like if you have a newborn baby and, and you get children, listen, it, is, it, is, it changes your life forever. It's the greatest experience that I've ever had. But I tell you, it can become very tough after a couple of months if your child is struggling to sleep. And then as we're currently at with Daniel, he's being potty trained. And man, you're not seeing success. And you're still having to do what you're kind of like had to do from the start when he was an infant. But he's now supposed to progress. And spiritually, many of us do that because our Christian life is about the one day of the week. We come and we stay in a place of neediness, which is not bad if you're a baby. We love babies. We nurture babies. We look after babies. The problem is if you're a baby for 10, 15, 30 years, just like in our culture where we encourage extended adolescence, it's like people who are 30 years, 40 years of age, and they still live in their parents' basements playing Minecraft. That is the equivalent of what it means if we are in a, a state as a Christian where my faith is coming on a Sunday morning, I listen to the message and, oh man, I'm so built up. But the rest of the week, I, I'm not able to apply any of the Word of God to my life. I'm not in contact with any other Christians. I'm not being salt and light in any kind of way. We have to ask ourselves, if that is us, if that is you, if that is you, you got to listen to this. The encouragement is that you cannot and you should not. And the father invites you to not stay in that place. He's a good father who wants to see us raised up. Listen to what it says here in Ephesians 4. We have shared this uh, scripture so many times. This is what the church is about. The church is this. Uh, and he, this is God, gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. In other words, there are specific gifts. There are people with giftings given to the church to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Why? What's the goal? To mature manhood. Again, figuratively speaking, maturity, mature manhood, mature personhood, humanity. God is not interested in making us Christians. He's interested in making us the true selves that he had predestined for us before the creation of the world. He wants to have us inherit the earth, the new earth, the kingdom of God. Mature manhood is what's needed for that, to live that truly out. Finally, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fullness. Why does he want that for us? Why does he not want us to be in infancy and stay only like a little child? Listen to this. It goes on further to say, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. You see, we live our lives as Christians 
forgetting that we have an enemy of our souls that is out there to destroy your life. Not by taking away your faith. He can't do that. He can't take away your, your salvation if it is truly in Jesus Christ. But what he can do is, if you're an infant, he can bring across your life waves, winds of doctrine, human cunningness, craftiness, false teachings, experiences. A quick way to mature to spirituality. Well, if you just have this gift and you speak in tongues, or if you, if you could just do like this healer and preacher that's on the street that lays on hands and, and legs grow. It's, it's ways in which the enemy wants to come and distract us from what is truly the way in which we can grow in faith and holiness through the word of God. Deceitful schemes. But rather speaking the truth in love, the truth, the word of God in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Again, Hebrews 5 verses 12 to 14 tells us why, because this is the, the conclusion. This is why this is important for us as a church. For by this time you ought to be teachers, not as in the matter of like me standing in front teachers, but every Christian is called to be a teacher. Every Christian is called with this calling to go and make disciples, to be able to share your faith with someone else. You need to have been teachers already, the writer of Hebrews says. You need someone now to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Listen, what the writer is emphasizing here is someone who is still stuck in infancy, spiritual infancy, spiritual baby, is not skilled in the word of righteousness, not able to apply it to your life or to your context. That's the problem with it. And the writer of Hebrews says, but solid food is for the mature. That is what we want to do. We want to grow up in the word of God and digest solid food. Just like in the physical world, we want kids to grow strong. The objective of having children and raising up children is that they will grow up and become mature adults and responsible adults to the glory of God. That is what God wants for his family. And this is what maturity in the word of God brings. Power of discernment so that we are trained to practice uh, by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I share this with you because I'm in a place where I realize that I'm in the last year, last two years, actually since COVID, definitely in the most difficult time of my life in terms of my spiritual growth. It's a fact. There are certain areas of my life, there is sin that I've fallen into that has crept in and taken root as a result of this fact that I am not in the Word of God as I should be. I, I'm reading a, a, a reading plan, for example, but if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I'm not letting the Word of God have its full effect in my life because it's not speaking directly into my heart. I'm checking a box. Because listen to this, Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
Listen, our problem is in the church, we have too low of a view of Scripture, of the Word of God. This is the enemy's strategy from the beginning of time. Did God really say? And for some reason in the church today, we still listen to that. We still wonder, listen, am I reading this text really in the right way? Is it really saying that this specific issue is a sin? I don't know. I think they had it wrong in that time. They, are try- they tried their best two, three, four, five thousand years ago, but they have not evolved as much as us. And isn't that what we see in our time today in the church? We constantly see the Word of God being under attack. Is this really the inspired Word of God? In conclusion, the answer to maturing and growing in stature, in faith, in our walk with Jesus and not stay spiritual infants, is clear. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, in other words, so that the Christian may be completely equipped for every good work. There is no two ways about it. That is what it is going to take for the church of Jesus Christ to actually grow up to the full maturity of Him who is the head, that is Jesus, for us to be the hands and feet feet of Jesus Christ. Now I want to end off here with this invitation. This message is first and foremost preaching to my heart as I've shared. I can totally relate to anyone who sits and you feel like, oh boy, I have fallen short. And my invitation to you this morning is, it's an altar call. There's an alteration needed. There is a direction, directional change needed in your life. Today is the opportunity for that to happen. So my first invitation is to anyone here this morning, if you have never experienced the love of God, the love of a father who affirms you, who does not condemn you, does not judge you, but he has forgiven you for your sins because of Jesus Christ. And and if you sit here and you say, I've always been a Christian, I've never had to repent of my sin because I just grew up in that kind of like a house and I just knew the truth from, from when I was little and I never lived an immoral life. I never slept around. I never drank alcohol. I never did drugs. And your life as a Christian is only totally defined by a morality that you say, I've been, I, I'm good. I've been a good person my whole life. I'm a Christian. I've got to tell you, you're in need of repentance because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. What you're living in is, is in pride. You have based your faith out of your own morality. You have said, I have done good. I've, I'm not a bad person. So the invitation is first and foremost for you. If that is you, I want you to be bold this morning. I'm going to call upon us to respond. I'm just going to invite the worship band to come to the front. 
as we're going to move into communion. But firstly, that is going to be our invitation to those who do not know Jesus in that way. You cannot pinpoint back to a point in time that your life was heading in one direction, which was hell, and you had an encounter with God through the power of the Holy Spirit of the conviction of his sin that led you in a 180 degree direction in a different way. If that is you today, I'm going to invite you this morning as the band is just going to start playing and lead us in worship again here this morning to come to the front. I know we feel in church circles that this is manipulation, but I got to tell you at the age of 23, I came to a point where I realized if I am not bold enough to stand up and walk to the front and stop worrying about whatever else one else is thinking and I respond to what the Spirit of God is saying in my heart, I'm going to stay stuck in my sin and in the place that I was in for my, the majority of my life as a child. Because before the age of 23, I'd gone through various stages where people called for people to repent and for me to repent. And I said, you know what, God, you know my heart. I, I repent. I ask forgiveness. And I thought that was enough. But I had to come to the place where I stood up out of my seat and come to the front. Okay, second invitation is for anyone. If you're stuck in spiritual infancy, you've listened this morning to this message and you're like, listen, that is me. I read the Bible, but it's not speaking to me. I come to church and I just take and take and take. But the rest of my week is just like I feel like I, I can't hear God. I cannot experience God. I'm, I'm not involved with other Christians. That's an invitation for you too to come to the front this morning for prayer. And all that is, is that I'm just asking you to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, not what Rudy is saying to you. If you feel that God is saying that to you in your life, today is the opportunity to do that. And I'm just going to ask, as we are waiting and, and going to worship, I'm just asking for us to pray for God to be at work in us. Yeah, maybe we can sing that song again, Nick, that, um, the one that you're playing now. And then after that, Joey is just going to lead us in communion.